In the land of Ooh is a candy kingdom whose sidewalks you can eat. And everyone who lives in there is made of something sweet. There are many candy people, far too many for to name. But if you care to take it there, we'll try it just the same. You sure? Mr. Cupcake and Starchy, strong as they can be. Pineapple guy and Peppermint Butler have musicalities. About that Peppermint Butler, a peculiar type of guy. And once a drop of spicy syrup fell into his eye. Cinnamon Bun is loud and he's not falling down. Chocolate Berry and Chet have ice on their grounds. Dr. Lies, Cream and Donut. We'll fix you up real well. There's even a nurse pound cake to keep you feeling swell. Dr. Dexter showed up once at the science barbecue. Made a speech, then grumbled something, and off again he flew. Earl of Lemon grabbed him via crab, he rides a sour horse. There's Taffy Girl and Candy Bar Guy and Man Freed, of course. What? Colonel Candy Corn and Candy King Guy are not the best he's place. Lollipop Girl and Ice Cream Guy were once seen on a date. Marshmallow Kids, Banana Gods, Jelly Horse, and Gelatin Man, Gumdrop Glasses, and Ice Cream Lady, Royal Tart Toter. Eat my tarts! Royal Tart Toter. Hello? Green Gumdrop Dude what? and no. a Great Popsicle Guy. In the land of Boo is a candy kingdom whose song is now complete. Except for one more candy person who really can't be beat. Her best friend is a rainicorn, she rides a royal swan. Ruling with a chewy fist, it's Princess Bubblegum. Good times, standing in a chow line. Welcome to Flooping the Pig. Good times. This is episode 46, nope, 47, Flooping the Pig. And I'm Brad Garoon. And I'm with Justin Houston and Kevin Ford, and just like two weeks ago, we've got two episodes and a few comic books to talk to you about today. First episode is a, it's a rekindling of an old romance, perhaps, or a new romance? Justin, tell us about the Pajama War. Okay, uh, the Pajama War, Pajama, 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 which one? I say, I say Pajama, but I'm from Michigan. Okay, yeah, I say, uh, I say Pajama, interesting. I don't know what that means. Anyway. I say, uh, I say Pajamas, for the record. So, tiebreaker. Brad yes, you're both wrong. That's okay. So. I do think more people say pajamas, but I do think pajamas wrong. Well, they can kick rocks. Call that? me mainstream, bro. <laughs> yes. Justin, can you talk about the episode? Justin, please? you're basic. I'm trying to get to it. You guys keep making the talk that is small. Okay. What, I, what are we I, supposed to like streamline these things? Come on, man. All right. Listen, we'll streamline them when you improve the beginning. That's all I'm. Gonna I, say, it's never right? going to happen. The beginning's always going to be bad. When this show started, you wrote dialogue. There was a skip in your in the step of your voice, and now you sound downtrodden. You sound like a beaten man. I forgot it's that I used to do that. Do you want me to do it? All right. What's up, pig floopers? I'm Brad Garoon, and I'm super happy. I'm here with the mayor of Halloween Town, Justin Houston. Talk about Pajama Day. War. Justin. Frustrating how quickly you came up with that. Okay, so uh, the Pajama War uh, is all about um, a pajama party that uh, it takes place in the kind of the Great Hall of, like, the Candy Kingdom that the, the pilot episode kind of took place in a lot. So they're playing a game. I know they're playing, like, lots of different games and and Jake and Finn and Princess Bubblegum are all there, and they're all in pajamas. So they play musical chairs. They play musical chairs, and uh, they both lose Princess Bubblegum and Finn. And so they're told they have to go into the closet for like seven minutes, I think, and have heavenly thoughts. Or either way, they got to get to smooching, and that's obviously not going to happen. So they go in the closet, and the door closes, and um, so they kind of sit there for a second. And they decide they're gonna just gonna leave the party, and so they go through a, a secret door in the coat closet, and they're out of there. They go for a walk, which you think is outside and just enjoying things, and it turns out it's actually like a an Oculus Rift style VR headset thing. And so they end up being introduced to Bubblegum's cat Timmy, spelled with like eight eyes. Um, so they go kind of jumping off. Meanwhile, the candy people. Uh, nothing really, nothing's happening, so they're getting worried. Um, and so they send in Crunchy to kind of press his face against the wall to, to see if he can hear them. He doesn't like that he has to do this, especially he doesn't like that they declare that he's the new cinnamon bun, which, I don't know, kind of fits. So he can't really hear anything, 
So they think that maybe they're dead. Mr. Cupcake is like, oh, I'll, you know, I'll take care of it. So uh, he goes to open the door and he just crushes the doorknob with his huge muscles. Um, and they don't really know how to get in. So he's like, oh, well, it, there's tools in the tool shed to take the door off the hinges. And he goes to open it. And, of course, he screws up the doorknob again. Then they decide they're going to, like, blow it up with a cannon. But they're going to make a sweater and put it over the door. That way it sort of, like, muffles the explosion. Or, or something. It's Manfred's plan. It's not a great plan, but everyone agrees. Well, not agrees, but uh, Mr. Cupcake expresses that he's the best leader possible because they can always see him at all times. So, sure. Uh, meanwhile, Jake's just sort of watching all this go down, and he finds it very funny. He's kind of uh, inciting them the entire time. Uh, he's texting back and forth, making sure that Finn's not actually in the closet, and Finn texts him back. They both have very strange box-like phones, or like old radios almost. So they they message back and forth, and again, Finn and Bubblegum were just kind of hanging out, and they eat this like weird fruit, and uh, they take a selfie together with Timmy, uh, the giant cat thing, and uh, it's just good times to be had. Back to the candy people who blow the door off the hinges, and clearly when everything explodes, they are dead, and they have to determine who a new ruler is, thanks to Jake. Again, incites them, saying, oh, yeah, who's going to fight over the crown? And points to the big picture of Princess Bubblegum, and there's a crown there. He suggests they, like, divide up and, like, fight each other. And so they do that, and it ends up that, I forget his name. He's the old man. He kind of serves, he's like a oh, candy corn, and he's like a general of some kind, a retired general. What's his name? Sir? It's Colonel Candy Corn. Brad can't yeah, unmute his microphone for some reason, so he typed it. That's I'm, I'm off. I'm free. It's Colonel Candy Corn. Uh, he's got this down. Forty-nine and a half episodes in, and we have Jesus Christ. Colonel Candy Corn is his name. Colonel Candy Corn used to be a lieutenant, promoted to a different rank. Yeah. So the good Colonel, he takes charge, and uh, Crunchy didn't really take part in the battle. He just kind of sat back and let it happen, and then he kind of wiggled his way into there, and he was going to. Uh, the Colonel has really, really strange rules uh, for what is going to be a very harsh government, and so. Crunchy offers to go get him some pizza, and we cut back to to Finn and uh, Princess Bubblegum, and she's letting him eat, like, candy fire or something like that, and then he takes some more selfies, and then uh, it cuts back to uh, their kind of reign that's going on. Oh, and Jake finally sends a video of what's happening, because he thinks it's so funny, mainly, like, selfies and things like that. Everyone's sending selfies at this point. Jake sends a lot of them and uh, to show what's going on. And so uh, Princess Bubblegum finally figured out, figures out what's up. Or she knew she actually knew what was going on, knew that they would panic and freak out. But she's been trying to let things go more, which is an extension of the previous episode about um, her letting go of, uh, you know, some of the stuff with Flame Princess and maybe not, you know, looking at uh, her title so rigidly. So she finally does decide, yeah, she's got to get back and, and kind of fix this issue. And uh, when when we cut back for a final time, Crunchy's taken over and uh, is riding the colonel like a horse. And they're going to throw Starchy into this huge crater that uh, that formed, I think, from the cannon blast in the middle of the uh, of the palace. And they're about to just throw him in, I guess, for insubordination when Princess shows up and, and says, all right, it's time for a story, everyone. No more foolishness. So she starts reading like a menswear magazine or something. Either way, it soothes everybody. Everything's good. And the episode ends with Finn looking over all his photos, just kind of enjoying the day he had. So whether this has larger connotations or not will remain to be seen. But Kevin, what did you think of the episode itself? I thought that conversation that Princess Bubblegum and Finn had with each other was incredibly important. And this is just what I saw. This It could lead to nothing. It could be a one-time thing. But I didn't think there was romantic connotations with it at all I thought that they both saw something in each other that they both really needed uh, Princess Bubblegum was talking about how she wanted to let things go and Finn has a more carefree spirit and attitude than she does while Finn was lamenting the fact that his father didn't really turn out to be the paternal figure that he needed in his life and Princess Bubblegum is very much uh, maternal to the Candy Kingdom she's, she's the mother hen for all of them so I feel like they both have something the other person wants and admires, and maybe they feel like they can help each other out, and that's why they can they can become better friends or 
just grow as people through each other's help. And I, and that's what I saw, and I hope that's kind of the direction it goes. Uh, with everything else going on in the Candy Kingdom, uh, it was funny, it was fun. I really like seeing Manfred again. But to me, that was pretty much just kind of background noise to the much more important Finn and Princess Bubblegum subplot. I think it's both. I think they were feeding off of each other's desires to grow and desires, and both of them just need to let go. But I think the final shots of Finn looking at the selfies is a definite cue that he's uh, into bubblegum again. And I think that, I think there are hints that she's, now that she's letting go of the Candy Kingdom, there's a big, there's a big opening for her to, to, I guess. And, um, you know, if we think back to the suitor, she, she wanted to be with someone, but couldn't because of her responsibility to the kingdom. And now with that freeing up and Finn being single and Finn growing up and going through a lot of maturity in the last couple seasons, I think even though he's, I, I think by my personal calculation, 17 years old and she's almost a thousand now is the, uh, is, it seems like ripe for them both to be with each other. And I think we might see some of that, um, pending some other big revelations like I don't think Finn would have talked about his dad unless they're bringing and we've been saying this for the last bunch of episodes of Flipping the Pig that uh, Martin's probably going to come back by the end of the season so I think that was a hat tip to that Justin did you like the episode? I liked it a lot yes this was my this was that I think too slow for some I think some people would find the pacing not quick enough and I like this I like when they do this sometimes to kind of let things play themselves out and not have to rush everything and jam everything into, you know, uh, tight spaces. So, um, yeah, this was good. Their, the relationship stuff I thought was perfect because, you know, you mentioned her being a thousand years old, but we don't know how much of that she spent without that, you know, being the princess and everything that, that comes, you know, with it, all, all the demands and the difficulties and things like that. And this may be the first time that she's actually able to, uh, that we've seen on the show, her express the desire to not be Princess Bubblegum, but to just be Bonnebel. Just be a person who has feelings about things and doesn't necessarily have to worry about everything. Now, were this a Joss Whedon show, this would be where you, you can't see the other shoe. This would be where everything is at its most happy and that the shoe is like out of the shot completely. That way when it starts coming down to crush all the things we love, um, that it hurts worse. So whether Adventure Time goes that route or not and causes something to make Bubblegum revert back and, and even harsher, going, I should never have left, you know, let go of the reins on this. This is this is my job. Uh, remains to be seen, but I think they've leveled out. So, yeah, I feel like they're kind of – I think the, the place where they are now is I think they would both kind of be okay. Like Finn is okay with something casual. She might be okay with something they might be right at that maturity level where something could work, whether they pursue it or not, uh, will be pretty fascinating. Do you guys want to hear a fun continuity rabbit hole that I fell down? I don't care. I'm going to tell you anyway. So at the beginning of this episode, Finn's um, outside screaming for tree trunks to get her hot buns in there. Yeah, which, yeah. Right. So he said that. he The same thing happened in Slumber Party Panic. They're trying to get all the candy people into the candy castle so that they can get away from the zombies. He says that to tree trunks there. Uh, she just comes inside. We see that it's a pun. And in this one, the pun is lost on Mr. Pig, and he smacks Finn. So I went back. I, I, I sort of felt like that was the case. So I went back, and I watched Slumber Party Panic. And while I was watching Slumber Party Panic, Bubblegum is making her decorpsinator serum. And her first test subject is old Mr. Cream Puff. Finn calls him old Mr. Cream Puff. And Bubblegum laughs and goes, ha yeah, we used to date. And that hit some kind, it hit something for me. So I went and watched The Vault. And in the vault, she's talking to Shoko, and she's standing next to young Mr. Cream Puff, who she says is her boyfriend. So that's like two cool bits of continuity that I fell down. And it gave me an idea of the time frame of when the vault took place. Because if Mr. Cream Puff had died recently enough that Finn knew who he was, then it was probably, the vault was probably 50 to 70 years before season five, depending on how long candy people live. And you could look at that a couple ways. Colonel Candycorn was an active military man less than 17 years ago, or just about 17, 18 years ago, according to Joshua and Margaret Investigations. And now he's like an old fart, so maybe they age very quickly. Or maybe they all age at different rates. I don't know. Fun things to think about. Well, we know she can clone candy people, so why didn't she just clone... What's his name? Well, that begs the question. We know she can clone James and maybe like stupid candy people, but... (laughs) 
why was she trying to bring dead people back to life? I think it's because he died and she wanted her actual cream puff back. And I don't think she would have done that to her love, to her boyfriend. I think once we get answers, especially on the bubblegum stuff, there's going to be some continuity errors that aren't going to be able to be resolved. I think this is one of them. I think there's no great answer for it. For, for you know, how long ago Shoko lived? To, no, to rectify cloning to rectify bringing back the dead, uh, yeah. why certain people aren't brought back and certain people are. I think it's, it'll, it'll, it, we just, I don't think we'll ever get because they decided within the process, not before, to, to kind of have such strong continuity that, uh, I, I don't think, I think there's just gonna be some things that aren't gonna make 100% sense. I totally agree with you. I think, if, I don't think that they'll even go as far to explain that piece that much. And I think if they were to try, they'd probably say James was a simple enough candy person to do that. Right. Speaking of going back in time, we went back to talk about Shoko. We're going to have to go even farther back because in Evergreen, we see the most prehistoric version of the planet that Ooh is on. And let's assume that it's still Ooh because the elements of fire, ice, candy, and slime are present. The episode opens on a dino boy named Gunter who's pretending to be an ice wizard named Urgence Evergreen. And he's got a dogish thing named Nina. And they're excited, and Gunter is pretending to be urgent, like I said, and then he notices portals opening on top of this ice citadel. And then we pan up to the portals, and there is a ice wizard who looks somewhat like the Ice King, talking about a comet that is heading towards Earth. And he sh- is talking to a fella named Balthus, a fire, a fire crab guy named Balthus, a candy god named Chanceberry and a slime pharaoh named Slimy D. Uh, and he's trying to convince them that they need to stave off this meteor. Though Balthus reminds, Balthus reminds Evergreen that a comet comes once every thousand years to Earth and doesn't really do any damage. But Urgence is sure that that's not the case this time. And he zooms in with his magic on the comet and we see that it's green and violently pulsating, and has uh, tails that look like the lich's horns. So there's something there, something significant there. And he just knows that it's evil and it's going to be a problem. But uh, Balthus says that even if if the four of them are destroyed, the, the four elements that they embody will live on, because they're eternal. Uh, but Evergreen is a little bit more egotistical and narcissistic than the rest of them, and he wants to personally live on. He doesn't want to die. So he freezes them, because they vote against him, and uh, grabs Gunter and decides that he is going to... Oh, what he was trying to, con- to convince them was that he needed to get a power source for a crown that he designed that will grant its wearer its first and most deep wish. Uh, and his wish will be to destroy the comet. He grabs Gunter, he grabs Nina, and they go to get the power source, which is the eyes, the ruby eyes of the, I think it's called the Lava Wood Magus, or something like that. Am I saying, do you guys remember what it was? No. So let's just, let's go with Lava Lava Dog Magus, or something like that. And so they go, and while they're on their way there, we learn a little bit more about the relationship between this Gunter, this dinosaur named Gunther, and Evergreen, and it's very similar to the relationship between Ice King and Gunter, if, if not less loving. Well, actually, much less loving. Evergreen, sort of, he, he created Gunther. He took him from a dinosaur egg to be this mutated version of a servant, but then he treats him like garbage and promises him over and over that he'll teach him magic, but never does. And we see that, even without a crown, Evergreen uses hand motions to create ice magic, which is a great bit of continuity because it ties in the ninja ice wizardry that we saw back in Chamber of the Frozen Blades. So that was something that I'd had a problem with and I, Justin, I think you had a problem with it too, and, and at least we got some, some explanation for that. But anyway, they get to the volcano where the ice do- uh, fire dog is, and Evergreen tells Gunther, Gunther not to get involved, but Evergreen's in some serious trouble. He's having a hard time fighting off this uh, lava monster until Gunther distracts him long enough. Gunther and this and this drum frog bit of magic that they have distract the lava monster long enough for Evergreen to freeze him and gouge out his ruby eyes. Uh, so they go back to Evergreen's headquarters, his home, and they put the they bond the rubies to the crown, and the crown's ready. And just as Evergreen's about to put it on, the rubyless, lavaless dog barges through the front door and just starts trashing the place. And 
Evergreen gets pinned underneath a column, and the crown ends up right by Gunther. And Evergreen at first wants Gunther to throw him the crown so it lands right on his head, but then he realizes that'll never happen. So he tells Gunther, you've got to do it. You've got to put on the crown and wish your most deep wish for the comet to go away. So Gunther puts on the crown, and he wishes his most deep wish to be Evergreen. And he just starts screaming, Gunther, no, Gunther, no, Gunther, no. And Evergreen realizes that everything would have been okay if he had just taught Gunther some ice magic that could have fixed this, but he never did. It's a nice moral, a nice, like, uh, fable moral where, where his selfishness got the best of him in the end. And the comet hits the planet. And then we flash away and we realize that the whole thing was a, a dream, perhaps a premonitive dream or a flashback through the crown dream of the Ice King, who's screaming Gunther no and asks, and then asks the pile of Gunthers in the corner if they've ever had the Dino Boy asteroid dream and isn't sure why they're so scared, which was obviously from his screaming. And then, He's asking them why they're looking at him funny. Is it something in his nose? Is it something in his face? Is it something in his hair? We see that there's a new comet heading right towards Ooh. And that's how that episode closes. Justin, what'd you think of it? I thought it was great. Mind-boggling, uh, obviously, is, is the first thing that comes up because it's, um, it really doesn't paint a history at all. It's, it's, it's almost like, uh, it feels like a cave painting type episode where you're just, you're getting this little bits of history and you don't know you don't have a time frame. You don't know how, how exactly it connects to another thing. And I should say that there's a distinction that his wish is obviously not to become a, a an ice wizard like Evergreen. His wish is to be Evergreen. Yeah, but Evergreen was, was an ice wizard. Right, well, no, but I'm saying the distinction is through is important through Ice King's mannerisms with the beard growth and the the obsession with Gunther and Gunther and, and all that stuff. Is obviously a manifestation. I mean, it's it's a technical difference, but I, I think it's an important one uh, because that's that's kind of what the show goes off of. Is that now you know that there's this other, I guess the I don't want to say like the personality of another like person is what's uh, you know shoving Simon Petrikov down, but that appears to be the case. And um, yeah, the, the big thing that I took away from it is I just, I don't know what time frame this is. I don't know, you know, how definite when he said uh, the the fire elemental guy was like, hey, it comes every thousand years. I thought, well, wouldn't we have gotten in our in our lifespan? Wouldn't we have gotten an asteroid of that size, or did did somebody defend it? So it it asked it raised so many more questions than it actually answered. Sure, he I, did say that comets come every thousand years and they don't do anything, and that this one was different. Right. Yeah. That's the thing is that so it's. Uh, I, I wonder what that, that impact is, and I wonder how that relates to – because, you know, this isn't like – you know, the Lich one was ominous and green and everything. This one was just pure white heading toward – I mean, it just looked like a comet, really, with a, with a white glow. So, you know, you wonder what sort of uh, effect that will have or whether something's going to be done at all or they just deal with the consequences. I just – I loved everything about the episode. It answered no questions. It didn't – you know, it didn't – there was no suggestion that it was going to answer those questions. Well, it but. did answer. I mean, I think we safely can safely say like that the ice crown or that the crown, I think it answers what the deal is with the crown. It's that's it true. Is, yes. That, yeah. that core, it's basically just the crown, everything related to the crown. We got a ton of answers on everything else is kind of tertiary, still very connected dots as you see them. Kevin, what did you think of the episode overall? I, I liked it too. I thought it was an interesting story. Again, sort of just, uh, you know, what the heck's going on with all this cod, comet business. Was it, was it a comet that they were supposed to fend off forever in the episode, uh, was it, was it just called Wizard? Where they were leveling up and they would eventually just stay as wizards forever? Trying to, like, yeah. make sure it doesn't hit the earth? Yeah. Hmm. Okay, so I wonder if, if that comes into play or if that means anything at all. Who knows? I totally forgot about that. That's amazing. Yeah, I didn't forget, but I just sort of feel like, well, maybe, because didn't they say they'd been doing it for hundreds of years? Like, maybe yeah. that was the comet before this one. Yeah. Like, that was the one that would have hit post-Mushroom War. I also yeah. think the Mushroom War might be some kind of comet. Yeah, so we'll we'll see what, what's going on with all that. I'm, I'm excited to see if it if this means something. If it is a if it is a premonition from the Ice King, I'm gonna just get. There were no there were no guest voices in the episode previous. It was all Tom Kenny and Dee Bradley Baker and Keith whatever his name is who was on Fosters. So I do want to see some cool. There's some cool voice stuff in this one. Uh, it's neat that Tom Kenny is both the voice of Ice King and Urgent Evergreen. I like that Keith David is both the voice of Flame King and Balthus. 
the fire crab guy. And then Slimy D, I wish Slimy D had been voiced by John Hodgman because he's Slime King or Elder Plops in the Slime Kingdom. So that would have been fun, but not the case. Um, Slimy D was voiced by, I forget the guy's name, but he storyboarded this episode. And uh, Chance Berry was obviously not voiced by Hinden Walsh. But uh, still, it's cool stuff. And then uh, Gunther was voiced by Pamela yeah. Adlon is her name. So that was cool. I, I like that that bit of it. And then, yeah, um, I agree with everything you guys said. It's 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 interesting that we, we learned a lot about the crown, but the rest is sort of speculative. Like, was that was that comet that he saw related to the Lich? We, we don't know. We, I'm sure we might know soon. We might not. Any new, like, fun, either one of you, any new, like, fun theories that popped in your head? While you were watching it going, oh, maybe it was this or maybe it was that. Um, I don't know. I'll, what I will say is I've watched this episode three times now, and it gets better every time I watch it. So. Yeah, same way, actually. The same number, too. The third time is when I had this thought of, as it was coming down, I thought, okay, so that means that whatever causes the mushroom war isn't the lich. Because the lich happens far before it, obviously. So here's the way that this is the new theory about how the dinosaurs went extinct. We all learned that uh, a comet hit or a meteor hit Earth, and then it blotted out the 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 fallout from it blotted out the sun, and then it got cold, and all the plant life died, and then all the animal life died. But there's a new theory that when this meteor hit the Earth, it was so big and hit so quickly with such force, the rock vaporized and became gaseous rock, and that all went off into the atmosphere, and then all that gas turned into ice like ice rock, and as all bits fell back into Earth, it heated up the, the atmosphere and heated it up little by little, heated it up, heated it up, heated it up, until above ground, the, the, it was like a furnace, and everything died very quickly, like within two days. Everything on the surface was dead, and the only things that were left alive, and the reason that mammals are now the dominant species, because the mammals that lived, that burrowed and lived underground were the, were the things that lived, the predominant things that lived, and obviously things underwater. And that, um, the so guy made, even made clear, he said, even if we die, even if this thing hits us, the, the, the base elements are going to survive. Right. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this in a different direction. I mean, yes, those things are true, and the elements are there, and they're floating around, and that's why bubblegum... I'm getting ahead of myself just a little bit. I think that this meteor was the lich, or related to the lich in some way, and it got buried in the ground, really deep in there. And then the mushroom war opened up the ground, and the lich was released. And not only was the lich released, but these elements that were driven into the ground, as, as you just said, were released. And that's why... In Simon and Marcy, we saw slime creatures, and we saw bu- prim- primordial bubblegum. And we saw, obviously, ice with the Ice King in his ice. And then I'm sure there's just fire, because I mean, I'm sure that that's just a, a regular element that we are aware of. I don't know, it's all very up in the air right now, but it, it's sort of, you can, you can connect dots and, and see where it might be going. My first thought, when I kind of started piecing all the little elements together, that I thought, wouldn't that be an interesting take, is I think we assume that the Mushroom War is this sort of, of our time, is a fight between ourselves, amongst our people, that perhaps unlocks the Lich. But I thought it would also be kind of interesting if it was kind of a Watchmen scenario, where it, like they discovered a comet was coming, and instead of... Like, this is just what popped in my head when I started thinking, well, how would this work? So it, the Lich one buries itself in the Earth, and everything grows over it. And then, so another meteor comes, another one of these meteors, and, like, man has risen up to the point where they're going to be the ones to try to defend it. And so it, like, unites everyone, as opposed to, like, this sad story of everyone hated each other and they all destroyed each other and unleashed the lich. It becomes this sort of, like, basically what the creature was at the end of Watchmen, this uniting force where all of our technology goes into stopping this meteor, except it fails, and it hits the same one, like it hits the one with the lich, and that's what kind of burns you. So I, it, it, I, there's no way that's what happened, but that's that's what I like about the episode, is it allows you to sort of these birth these theories without having to tether to something. Let's take it a step further. What if it was a war between man and himself that unleashed the lich? You know, Simon going through this devil to Ice King into Evergreen essentially, and while that's happening, he's not paying particularly close attention to what the war is all about, it turns out the lich is out, and the nuclear assault is something to try to stop the lich. What if the vision of Farmworld is misinterpreted, or just completely different, 
and the bomb isn't what wakes up the lich. Something else woke up the lich, and the bombs just wiped out the world. And that's why the lich was out and about still. Yeah, I think something like that would be as, if not more, interesting. I really, I, I like, I really want to know the story of how the lich got caught at all to begin with. Oh, how did Billy catch the lich? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be cool. I mean, I would, I would look. I would watch the mythology of this show forever. <laughs> it's so good, and it's and it is so open ended. It, it's so weird to think that there's so much unexplored ground, and the show's like six seasons old, and you know, basically like. Um, like what, two hundred episodes at this point plus? Almost. Yeah, so that's ridiculous. And yet still, you know, where other shows get so lost in their own mythology and the driving point becomes answering those questions, despite all wanting to know all these answers, getting an episode where one of the main characters is a brick in a falling building <laughs> and just basically talks about a deer and a and a bunny and, and what's going on around him. Um, and it's awesome, and we, it doesn't matter that it answers literally none of those questions, uh, is a testament to how laser-sharp the focus of the show is always constantly on kind of frivolousness. Even when it's serious, there's always this kind of goofy silliness that reminds you that this is a show that's not meant to be dissected as much as it is enjoyed. Yeah, or is meant to be enjoyed as much as it is dissected. So I think more so. I think a show that's... If you if it's fifty fifty, then it's a choice. I don't think they give you a choice. I think the constant silliness is a way for them to always say it's supposed to be mostly enjoyed. But yeah, there's still lots of elements that you're supposed to remember and pick apart. I think that's fair based on what I know of or what I've seen in interviews of the temperament of the people behind this show. Right. Cool. It's very creative, and it's, and it's one of the benefits of it being an art-driven show, and it's one of the benefits of it being 11 minutes long in short form and, and able to tell many different stories without being stuck to something for 45 minutes. And with that in mind, Kevin, talk to us about the snails and talk to us about the comic book. Okay, so I, the snail in the Pajama War is in the room that uh, PB is making that uh, like potion or whatever it is that, that Finn ends up drinking and getting stuff on his mouth. The snail's in, like, a bottle of something in the room, but he's still happy and waving. He's not, like, dead or anything. Uh, Evergreen, I could not find the snail. Uh, I, you know, the episode is still, like, it just aired. It's still pretty new that people have yet to really pick it apart and dissect it as much as they like to. Uh, but some people on Reddit were talking about the episode, and I was not the only one who could not find the snail. And people theorized that uh, in the shelves in the background, they, they're, they're, maybe they're convincing themselves, maybe there's nothing there. But there are some uh, some fossils they see in the background that kind of a spiral shape to them, so it could be that the snails were were fossils at that point to exist in the universe. So that might be just kind of like a wink and a nod to the snail being in the episode, or could just not be in there at all because maybe it doesn't exist in that time period. So uh, we'll go with the uh, with the fossil theory for now. But once uh, more people had a chance to see the episode and kind of dig deeper into it, if an answer uh, becomes clear. We'll uh, clear it up for you on Poop and the Pig. So that's that. That's the snails for this week. So issue five of the comic book is uh, about Bimo, and he made baking. More specifically, he made a cupcake, literally a cake in a small cup uh, that he's going to share with Finn and Jake, but they proclaim it is too small to really share. So uh, Jake says, Bimo, why don't you give us a challenge? Uh, the winner, winner of that challenge gets to eat the whole cupcake, and they agree on that. And uh, Jake says, you should make the contest who can be the most Jake-like, because uh, I'm pretty terrific at that. But no, the challenge turned out to be that Bimo says, whoever can go furthest in a straight line will be the winner, and they will get the, the cupcake. And as they run off to leave, he says he has that Bimo's happy he has some time alone, because now he can continue building his creepy Finn and Jake robots. So they start out running, but then decide to slow down and, and walk, because uh, they don't want to die. And there's some obstacles in their way, like Jake runs into a wall, but thankfully he is able to stretch, so he can stretch over and continue walking. Uh, they run into this princess, uh, I believe her name is Acoustic Princess, uh, who exists only in this this comic book, and she... Her name is uh, Lamprey Princess, they reference Acoustic Princess. Oh, what is a Lamprey? A lamprey is a disgustingly vile creature that's mouth looks like Lamprey Princess's mouth with, like, a million teeth that go in a circle. Uh, it's weird. So, yeah, so she's stuck inside of, like, a, like a clay bucket, and she really wants Finn to break her out. But if he does, then he's going to stop going a straight line, and Jake will win. 
So what he does is that he says that Acoustics Princess says that if he sang loud enough at the right frequency, he can shatter the pot. So he does so. And uh, important important to note that he can do so because of his auto-tuned computer. Yes, my apologies. Yeah, because he so they they reference that again. And uh, Finn mentions that he really likes it when they work together. So we get kind of this montage of them helping each other continue in the straight line, like climbing a mountain. Uh, Jake turns himself into a canoe so they could cross over this this uh, body of water. Uh, they're walking past these monsters in a pit, and they're talking about how they really like how that wasn't in their path. And uh, Finn turns himself into, like, a hang glider so they can glide over some mounts and stuff. Finn they, turns himself into a hang glider? I'm sorry, Jake does. And uh, they they find this, this big board that says, None Shall Pass. But there's a little note at the bottom that says, Unless you can think of a bunch of things that rhyme with the word but. So I thought a bunch of those words, and the none shall pass sign says, hey, thanks, that's going to help my poetry writer's block. And he walks away, and they can continue going. So they stumble upon this tree fort, and it's in their way, and they say, no problem. Finn says, we're just going to knock on the door and ask if they don't mind two people walking through their house in a perfectly straight line. So don't worry about that. And they say that it's an adventure, meeting somebody new that you don't know, and they bump fists and say it's adventure time. And inside is a guy who... Looks like Finn. Uh, he has the green backpack. He has a dark blue shirt and light blue shorts, which is the reverse of what Finn has. And then he has Jake's eyes. And instead of Finn's hat, his hat looks like Jake's head. Like it looks like the, like it has a yellow. It's like a yellow hat with his dog ears on it. And his name is Timmy, but he says people call them him Adventure Tim. And this, of course, really freaks them out. And the uh, the inside of his treehouse looks a lot like Finn and Jake's treehouse. It's just a little bit different colors. He even has his own little robot, uh, but its name is ALN instead of BMO, which uh, for even more astute people, you realize that's just one letter up from B, uh, from BMO. So what? That, what are you talking about? This is Alan, man. Is this good old Alan? No, it's not. So so he's Alan, and you know this this again really freaks them out. And even uh, Alan had baked them a, a baked a cupcake for Adventure Tim to eat. And Adventure Tim also uh, talks to himself as if he is both Finn and Jake, like some amalgamation of them. And he talks about spending time with uh, I forget what the princess character's name was in the comic. Oh, it's a uh, Princess Chewy Paste, which is like their version of Princess Bubblegum, and uh, how he has problems with the Mice King. And as Finn and Jake hear about all of this. Especially with Jake, it begins to, to freak him out. And uh, as they're talking, the Mice King attacks the tree fort with a bunch of mice. And Finn and Jake help Tim out with attacking the Mice King and getting rid of him. And we even see uh, this chart because the Mice King claims he's not evil. He says he's more chaotic neutral. And that slows down uh, Finn and Jake for a moment. But then Tim shows them a chart that has where everybody lands and there's a like the Duke of, of Lime Snatch or Scratch or something like that, uh, and a bunch of other different characters on it that are variations of, of what we know from the universe. So they get rid of the Mice King, and they decide to leave Tim because, well, they screwed up. They didn't walk in a, in a straight line, so their, their objective is over. And uh, Bimo has completed his creepy versions of, of the Finn and Jake robots as they get back. And they're telling him about, uh, they're telling Mimo about what happened. And he says, oh, you guys have a message. And the message is from Princess Bubblegum saying that she had come by to ask for help finishing an insane new invention. But Mimo told him they were out important, important business. And then Mimo said that nobody won because they couldn't stay in the straight line. And they asked how he knew that. And he says, well, anytime you guys leave, I just watch you from a telescope on the roof. And, uh. They said, oh, so you saw Adventure Tim and the Mice King? And he said, no, that he got crazy bored and took a nap. But they realized they didn't dream it because Finn's shirt still smelled like mice. But they all shared uh, Bimo's baking together, and they all got a little piece of it. And they comment, they think it's kind of weird. There's somebody out there that's slightly different adventures of them. And we cut back to see Tim, and he's on a date with a variation of uh, Lady Rainicorn. But they realized that they could change his adventures by doing something. So, like... Jake smushes his mouth together, lays a bunch of food in it, and um, Tim. And then we cut to Tim, who's doing the same thing, and he can't control it. And the unicorn is kind of freaked out by it, but Jake thinks that's pretty funny. And that's where the comic ends. And in the next issue, Jake is going to totes find out what's up with Princess Bubblegum's invention, 
And Finn's like, yeah, man, totes. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was a fun issue. I liked it for just a, a one-shot story. The alternate universe thing is kind of interesting. Uh, seeing BMO be his weird little self is always fun. I will say though, the comments at the bottom this time I thought were kind of annoying, so I just eventually just ignored them. Uh, no problem. You know, didn't really take away from the story by not reading them. I was just like, all right, author, let's, let's get over yourself here. But, it's uh, so yeah, funny you say that because it, it's really funny you say that because I I was like actually having a hard time seeing on my computer screen and so I just didn't I just skipped it this time I also thought this was really fun I like this little self-contained story I like that there were there were little bits in this story that will be in the next big story arc like Bemo's creepy robots and uh, the the device that Bubblegum mentions but that's less important what's really important is the chart you mentioned, the chaotic neutral, that's from Dungeons and Dragons, right? I don't know because I've heard of that chart before, like in just like in other like facets of. That's where fiction. I know it from. You know it from D and D, right? Yeah, that's where I think it's from. But uh, my favorite one was the chaotic evil was the lock, which a little arrow said is kind of like a lake, but is obviously a reference to the lich. I, I thought it was very funny that the evil thing in Adventure Tim's universe is an evil lake, which. Might relate to Finn's fear of the ocean, perhaps. I don't know. Perhaps, or maybe maybe Tim is not afraid of the ocean, so it's no big deal. Maybe, or maybe Finn is sub- was subconsciously afraid of the ocean because, much like they can affect Tim, Tim's doings and goings on affect them. Do we know that? No, we don't know that at all. In fact, I think this is never referenced again. But I just <laughs> think it's I think it's very funny. Yeah, and but you bring up a good point though. The uh, the little things at the bottom. It was incredibly hard to read because it was like lime green writing on a white background, and it was not only did I not find it amusing, but I would have to strain my eyes to try to read what it was. So it was just it was just poor poor decision making all overall. Uh, what did you think of the issue, Justin? I didn't like it. Um, I felt like at the end that I wasted my time a little. Um, uh. I also realized that. Uh, because of the, 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 the dialogue, which I thought was really poor, um, that I started reading it in, I guess just at some point, my brain reverted it to, like, young Finn's voice. Because back when, like, the dialogue was still kind of figuring itself out and was kind of blatantly aware it was a cartoon show, um, that's what this kind of felt like, and uh, no, I did not enjoy it really. Do, do you mean specifically because there was actually there was a, a part in this comic where I would agree with you, the part where they're walking in a straight line and saying, "Bro, I like you, but this," or "Bro, I'm this. I would do anything for you, but this." It was probably that around that time that it yeah. just shifted and it, it didn't go back because it just I, I didn't think it was very. Good. I just I really didn't like this issue at all, and it makes me not want to pick up another one. Too bad. We might have to figure out something to do with you in these comics, Debbie Downer. Well, no, it's, I mean, it's, uh, I, I'm, I'm hopefully bringing something to this and either feels the same or is, you know, frustrated by the same things I am. I, I just, I thought it was, like, it was very, it was just dumb for dumb's sake. Like, I thought it was very funny, but I do agree that the dialogue felt very early, early, early Adventure Time at, at, at points. Like, but this why, also... why does BMO doing karate make more, like, is, why is that okay in my head? And Bemo making creepy, like distinctively cre- creepy robots. Why does that bother me? I don't know why it does. Oh, but I don't know. The, the robots didn't bug me at all. The, and I thought the baking, like that, that language felt very true to me. Whereas, like, yeah. whereas, like the I, I'm, I'm actually with you. Where like the later language, not so much. But it wasn't enough to make me to turn me off. And I thought, I don't know. I just, I thought, I hate puns. And I thought Adventure Tim was really funny. I did too, and I thought, oh, this will be, well, I can't wait to see what this is. As it turns out, it's not anything. As it turns out, the entire issue is unnecessary because they share the cupcake, and in the end, uh, none of it is either explored nor deemed relevant. So if the people wasted their time, so did I. That's always my sentiment. If, if a character discovers they've wasted their time and got literally nothing out of it, if they even get enjoyment out of it, either like, hey, at least we had a good time. And I'm like, okay, great. But in this, it felt like nothing was accomplished, nothing was explained, so what am I doing? For me, it was uh, it was enough that they met Tim. They had a little adventure with the mice cake. Learned that there were some copycats. My actually only beef is that 
is Jake's physical mannerisms now affecting Tim? Because that probably was never the case before. That was, was like weird. the last, that's really when it went. When it affected him, I'm like, you better tease something at the end here that says that you're going to pay this off or say, hey, we'll explain all this in a later issue. And the end, it was like, nope, we're going to deviate and do something completely different, rendering all of this meaningless. So I, well, I just, I was upset. Well, well, maybe way down the line, this will have dripped, like maybe, this is just complete conjecture, I haven't read this far into the comic, I've read a little bit farther than we are now, but not to a point where Adventure Tim returns, but maybe this is the first time, now that they've met Tim, they can affect him, and now maybe everything they do is affecting him, and he'll come back later as a villain. Well, they know exactly where he is. I mean, he's a straight, he's like eight hours worth of straight line. Right, but he doesn't know where, he doesn't know where they are. My whole, my point is, maybe they'll start driving Tim crazy and he'll start looking for them, and when he finds them, it'll be a problem for them. What happens when Finn and Jake are apart? How does Tim work? I don't know how Tim works. I'm, I'm, I don't I don't really know. Maybe maybe it's just a, 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 an issue where, and obviously, like I keep saying, this is just conjecture, but maybe it's only when they think about making Tim do something that they can make him do something, and really only Jake would do that. Indeed. Um, Kevin, you got a little bit of six pages worth of comic left to talk to us about, yeah? Yeah, so this is, so, um, this was in, uh, Kaboom's Summer Blast book, which came out on Free Comic Book Day, which is, uh, the first Saturday of May. Uh, a bunch of comic companies, pretty much all of them, put out, uh, some comics specifically for Free Comic Book Day. Uh, you go to a retailer store, or you can go online, and you get these issues for free in participating bookstores, because while it's free for us, the consumers, uh, it is not free for the stores to purchase them. Uh, but they're created in the hopes of getting some new readers on board or to uh, to preview new issues or just give a sampling of what they have. So Kaboom, the studio that produces the Adventure Time comic uh, during Free Comic Book Day, put out a just a one book that kind of collects short stories from all their different properties, like uh, Peanuts and Phineas and Ferb and Garfield and all those things. And... Uh, this is actually the short story that is in the back of issue 26 of the Adventure Time comic book, which I have not read that issue, but uh, when I was looking it up, I discovered that. Uh, it's called Sphagnum Schmagnum, and it's, uh, it's, it's really short. Finn and Jake, they start off, in, and Finn's sort of lamenting how he's said he's pretty much explored all there is to explore on the planet, but Jake takes him to this, uh, this swamp area, which... Finn is a little upset about and he wants to know why Jake brought him there. And Jake says this is where he did some of his best exploring back in the day. He even points out this this tree where he carved his name. And it's a heart that says Jake plus Flanda, F-L-A-N-D-U-H. And Jake la- or, I'm sorry, Finn laughs and asks who Flanda is. And Jake says he doesn't want to talk about it. And that's really the only important thing that happens in this comic. Uh, they play around on this marsh or this bog. They're jumping on this... Uh, like, a, you know, this grass that's above water. This uh, this fish under the water gets really upset about it and jumps up to land and attacks Jake while Finn falls under the water and meets his wife, and she starts feeding him this seafood like snails and stuff, which, uh, which he thinks is gross. And Finn also has a snorkel, so he'll be able to breathe underwater, and he ends up, to uh, to be polite, he pretends to eat the fish and the snails and spits them up to the, to the land, and when Jake and the other fish notice this, they stop fighting him again, eating, and they start getting along. And Jake apologizes for jumping on the land and says that he's got a nice spot for himself, while the the female fish is delighted that Finn is eating her food. And so he says, thank you for the meal. And uh, the male fish agrees that it's pretty fun to jump on the bog. And uh, Finn just says, you're right, this is a pretty strange corner of the world after all. And Jake says, all right, Finn. Let's escargot home. And that's the whole thing. Did we ever find out who Flanda was? No. I, I searched for who Flanda was, and this apparently is the only mention of her at all. And again, the, the, the comic that this was produced in was produced in March of 2014, and it can't, this Kaboom Summer Blast came out in May of 2014. So, again... Maybe we'll never find out who Fland is. Maybe in a few years' time we'll find out who Fland is. That's just how the Adventure Time universe works. Hmm. I think you may have just read the free comic book day that I wasn't asking, looking for for this one, because I think the one I was looking for you to read came out earlier. 
Like the 2013 or potentially 2012 version? Indeed, indeed. But uh, what a fun little interlude anyway. What a fun interlude anyway. Well, I guess if they all end up being back issues, anyway, it doesn't matter. Right. It's not like they created new content for this. They just submitted one of the backstories of a comic in there. And it's, it was a weird one to choose. I don't think it's really representative of the comic very much. I don't think it's very representative of the show very much. And nothing about it, if you've never read the comic, you would read and go, Oh man, I gotta check out to see what the Adventure Time comic's doing this next month or whatever. So just a, just a, an interesting choice to put in there. Uh, but you know, again, it's, it's just a collection of short stories, so who knows? Maybe somebody got interested in it and went out and searched out more Adventure Time comics or what have you, but uh, uh, yeah, there's, there's no point in trying to like track this down on eBay if you're a completionist or something like that. Uh, just just find yourself issue 26 of the comic book and you'll have it as well. Right on. Um, we're not coming back next week. We'll be back in two weeks. I'm going to India, so we're taking a week off to recharge and let Adventure Time air Astral Plane, which we'll be back to talk about in a couple weeks, um, and some more comics. But in the meantime, we do our, we are all do and do on be on Twitter. So, Justin, talk to us about social medias. I am Justin J. Houston. I have thoughts on things, and I post them. I also do podcasts with Kevin Ford called Viva Chikara, and it is good about wrestling. Chikara Pro, very colorful. Characters, animals, Kevin. Yes, you can find me on Twitter at KFord13. That's kford one three. You can also follow Pro Wrestling Ponderings, which is nice enough to host this podcast, at PW Ponderings on Twitter. You can download the show directly from PWPonderings.com each and every Monday, or you can subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher Radio by searching for PWP Podcasts, and you get the episodes a day earlier, so that's pretty exciting. And if you are directly downloading the show from the website, if you're going to buy stuff through Amazon.com or HighSpots.com, please do so through our banners. We get a small kickback, and we can keep this show free and keep all of our content rolling, and we appreciate you for doing just that. What's up, Brad? Uh, I write a hamburger blog. It's called BurgerWeekly.com. You can read about it at BurgerWeekly.com, or you can follow it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest at BurgerWeekly. I tweet things about Adventure Time mostly, sometimes about how stupid wrestling is, Sometimes just about things that frustrate me, like people on the New York City subway, guys wearing no hats when it's zero degrees outside because they have hair gel in. Um, that's at Garoon Gate. Uh, like I said, we'll be back in two weeks with more Flooping the Pig, and thank you for doing just that. I floop the pig. Mm-hmm.